As Luke tells the story in his gospel, after Jesus has been crucified, he is buried. Mary Magdalene and some of the other women who followed Jesus come to the tomb with the spices that they have prepared for his body. But of course, when they get there, the stone has been rolled away. Jesus is not there. And before they even have time to wonder about this, these two angels appear and announce to them, he is not here. He is risen. So the women run back and they tell the other disciples the news that they have heard, but they are met with skepticism. In fact, it's only Peter that makes his own way to the tomb to see for himself that Jesus' body is no longer there. Luke then goes on to tell the story of the first of Jesus' resurrection appearances, and it's the walk to Emmaus. This well-known and very well-told story is not only a witness to us of the evidence that Christ is indeed raised from the dead, but in this story we also see a picture of how the Holy Spirit is at work bringing people into communion with Jesus. So let's read it together. It's in Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us?
we don't know anything about Emmaus, this village to which these two men were walking. We, we don't know exactly where it was located, and we don't know why they were going there. It could be that they were on their way home. They were followers of Jesus, and they had just watched their Lord and their teacher die on the cross. It's all over. There's nothing left to do but to go home. Or it could be that as followers of Jesus, they realized that Jerusalem was no longer a safe place for them to be, and so they are fleeing Jerusalem for safety, for the safety of their own lives. What we do know about Emmaus is that it was seven miles from Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting that Luke decides to include this one specific detail about Emmaus. It's as if Luke is trying to say the important thing about this village is simply the fact that it was far enough away from Jerusalem, away from everything that had just happened. The walk to Emmaus is a retreat. Of course, not in the sense of a spiritual renewal kind of retreat, but a real retreat of disappointment and of failure. They're retreating away from Jerusalem. Well, on this painful journey, we get to see how the Holy Spirit is working to bring these two men into communion with Jesus. Now, why do I say the Holy Spirit is working? Jesus is the main character in this story. Well, what I want to suggest is that the work that the Holy Spirit does, both in this story along with Jesus at the same time, but also today in our own lives, the work that the Holy Spirit does is the same work that we see Jesus doing here, and that is to guide people into communion with himself. That's what the Holy Spirit continues to do even after Jesus has ascended to the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So first, what we see is how the Holy Spirit meets them in their confusion. If we look at verses 15 and 16 and then also verse 21, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And then down in verse 21, they said to Jesus, we had hoped that he, that is Jesus, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. One thing that is consistent in most of the resurrection appearances that we have in the Gospels is that people have a really hard time recognizing who Jesus was. When Mary sees Jesus in the Gospel of John, she thinks he's the cemetery gardener. When the disciples see him on the shore, they think he's just a stranger who wanted to talk to them about fishing. And then here in this story, Cleopas and his companion think that he's just a curious traveler who joins them on the road. Now, what's interesting in this story is that the two men don't just fail to recognize Jesus. It says that they are actually kept from recognizing Jesus. So my question is, why is that? You know, I mean, is, is Satan deceiving them and keeping them from seeing that this is Jesus? 
Or is it simply the fact that they are unable to see past their own confusion and their own grief? Or maybe it's God who is, for some specific purpose, temporarily concealing the identity of Jesus while he works something out in them. We don't really know for sure, but whatever the case, when Jesus asks them what they are discussing, when he says, what are you talking about as you walk on the road? It stops them in their tracks. They hang their heads down. They say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know? Folks, this is grief. The confusion that these disciples are in is the kind of confusion that comes along with grief. When someone that you love dies, when your whole world is falling apart on top of you and underneath you, it is baffling to you how the rest of the world can seem to just keep going. The people around you, they go to work, they buy their groceries, Life just sort of keeps going. Don't they understand what has just happened? Don't they understand that the world is falling apart? How could it be that the world just keeps going? It's confusing to you in your grief. Well, the core of the grief that these two men are experiencing is expressed in verse 21 when they say, we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. They had hoped that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and take the throne. They had hoped that Jesus was going to fix their problems and make them a nation again and make them happy again. They had high hopes for Jesus, and they should have. But when they saw him hanging on the cross, dying, they realized that Jesus was not who they had hoped for. And that is really good news. Jesus is not who you and I hoped for. He is so much more than that. When we hope that Jesus is going to fix our problems or make us happy. We're not asking too much of Jesus. We're asking too little, expecting too little. Jesus does want to bless us, but he also wants to save us from our sinful selves. He wants to adopt us as his children. And he wants to give us the assurance that whether we are joyful or whether we are in grief, whether we're healthy or whether we're sick, whatever our condition and whatever our situation, we have hope because our life is hid with Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is up to. That's where our hope lies. But the disciples didn't know that yet. They were confused about who Jesus was. And so Jesus comes alongside of them in this story in the middle of their grief to lead them out of it. And so that's where we see, second of all, the clarification that the Spirit provides. 
verses 25 to 27 say, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What the disciples failed to understand about Jesus was the fact that the Messiah had to suffer. They were right that he was the Messiah, but they were wrong. They didn't understand that he was supposed to suffer. And so Jesus scolds them a little bit because Scripture said as much. I mean, starting with Moses and all the prophets, they bear witness to the fact that the Messiah has to suffer. And the disciples have read these scriptures. They've read them over and over and over. They've grown up reading them. So they know them, but they don't yet understand what is being said in them. And so Jesus clarifies this for them. That's where the the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. This is one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does for them and also for us today. The Holy Spirit illumines Scripture for us so that we can see and understand it rightly. Without the Holy Spirit to guide us and to tell us and show us what exactly we are reading, it's like trying to read with a bad prescription. You're kind of seeing the words, but you're not really seeing what's there and understanding clearly what they say. The Holy Spirit gives us the lens through which to read Scripture so that when we do, we encounter Christ as he is. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and that's what the Spirit is doing here. That's what Jesus is doing as he takes them to the Scripture to explain who he is. So when it turns out for us that Jesus is not who we expected and not quite who we thought we were hoping for, the Spirit takes us back to Scripture. Scripture is where we encounter Jesus and see him as he really is, better than we had hoped for. And we see what he's actually up to in our lives. Well, finally, the third thing we see is that the Holy Spirit brings us into communion with Jesus. When he was at table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Last week, Melody and I went to uh, the Easter vigil service at an Orthodox church, an Eastern Orthodox church uh, in Oakland. It started at 10.30 at night and it went to 1.30 in the morning. Pretty long worship service. But it was a beautiful service. We got there a few minutes late And when we went inside, the first thing that I noticed about the sanctuary was the darkness. The entire sanctuary was dark. Only a few lights here and there where people needed to be reading something or speaking something out loud. Everything else was dark. And we we couldn't even hardly make out the dozens and dozens of paintings and icons that were all over the sanctuary. The the colors, we, we couldn't make them out. It was too dark. And the the liturgy itself, which is almost entirely sung or chanted in the Orthodox Church, 
It just sounded dark. It was sort of in a minor key as it was chanted. Everything just felt dark. It felt like we had walked right into the tomb. Jesus was dead. And there was confusion and there was grief. That's how the service started off. Well, then after about an hour of that, we went forward with the rest of the congregation and we took the candles that we had been given on the way in and we went forward and lit the candles on the Christ candle that the priest was holding. And then we filed outside and made our way back around to the front, to the entrance, to the sanctuary. And then after a lot more singing there, the, the priest started banging on the sanctuary door and he started saying, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. He repeated this over and over. And then they opened the doors and we all started walking inside, and it was just light everywhere. Every light in the sanctuary was on. Every single candle was lit. The colors were vivid. Every painting, every icon almost seemed to have a light of its own. The ceiling was painted this bright blue color like of the sky, and right in the middle of the sanctuary on the ceiling was this painting of the second coming of Christ. It was huge felt like we had stepped right into the kingdom of God. There was light everywhere. And the priest was shouting, Christ is risen. And we would respond, truly is risen. We probably shouted that three or four dozen times. There was so much joy. Christ had risen. We understood now who Jesus was. Then after another hour or so, the service built up to its high point. Communion. Communion was the focus of that entire service. The entire liturgy was one progressive movement to this point, communion with Jesus Christ. And it's that same progression from confusion and darkness to clarification and light to communion that we see in this story with Cleopas and his companion. When they first met Jesus, they didn't recognize him, even though he was visibly present with them. But once Jesus was at their table with them, breaking bread with them in communion and in fellowship, then they recognized him, even when he was no longer visibly present. Jesus often shows up in our lives as a stranger on the road. He joins us unexpectedly on our journey through grief, through disappointment and failure, even just through the ordinary routine of our lives. He shows up. But it's often not until afterward that we look back and with the help of the Holy Spirit recognize who exactly it was that was walking with us. That's why whenever I lead a grove, I begin the session with the question, where has the Lord met you this last week or since the last time we met? Where has the Lord met you? The Holy Spirit helps us to remember rightly, to look back over the past days, weeks, and months and see when Jesus was walking with us and to see that Jesus is at our table.
So my question for you this morning is, where is Jesus right now in your walk? Where is he in your journey? Have you taken the time lately to look back over the past few days, weeks, or months, even years, and to ask, where was Jesus? When was I sitting at the table with him and didn't even know it at first? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to show you when Jesus has walked with you? I assure you that he has, and I promise you that even now he is. May the Holy Spirit show all of us where Jesus is in our walk. May the Holy Spirit show us that he is at our table, communing with us. Amen. Thank you.